another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I see what you did there, Jody. I see what you did. I did that, like, <laughs> as I started that out, I'm like, how do I just work my way into this? And I just did that. <laughs> yeah, nicely done. But to answer your question, I'm doing good. I'm doing all right. How about yourself? I'm feeling worked over. Yeah. Yes. I played in a pickleball thing last night and the guy that I played with against the three other teams that we played with, with two other teams with us, we did very, very well. Well, congratulations. Yeah. So that was fun. It was a lot of difficult playing. So I am feeling worked over. (laughs) That's a good way of saying it. (laughs) All right. Well, hopefully a good workout and all that kind of stuff, but I guess you did well. Given the intro, what are we talking about today? Headroom! Yes. Headroom in recording mediums and why it's important to keep track of it. And just as importantly, what the heck it is. So maybe Mm. some definitions are in order here first, I think. All right. First definition I want to talk about is dynamic range. And what dynamic range is essentially from the noise floor a recording when we just get like ambient noise and all this kind of stuff all the way up to distortion or in the digital realm clipping. Right. Right. I'm going to agree with that. Yeah. Well, I thank you, sir. I appreciate (laughs) that. (laughs) Most of us are recording 24 bit these days. Yes. Which gives us a dynamic range of 144 decibels. That's a hefty, hefty range. Mm -hmm. And that is plenty for us to work with. There are differences where we can do even like the 32-bit, which gives us 192 decibels, 48-bit, which gives it 288. But as I said, most of us tend to work in 24 these days. And that is plenty to kind of work with. Sure. So that's the dynamic range that we're actually dealing with. I think you experienced 288 decibels when you were doing that demonstration at <laughs> NAM the other week. <laughs> but uh, yeah, 24 is enough for, for most of us. Right? That, that's plenty to work with. So now when it comes to headroom, do you want to take headroom? Or what, how we kind of think of what actually headroom is as a definition? Well, headroom is how much audio space you give yourself between where you're recording something and the upper end of where your things are going to start clipping or distorting in your gear. That is the amount of decibels between your loud spot and your ultimately distorting or clipping spot. Right. And there's quote unquote, a sweet spot that you can be sitting in. And what exactly is the sweet spot? Now we're going to open up this for discussion, right? Because people are going to do different things. Now, there are some sort of conventions that that we tend to stick with. If we start talking about the analog world, uh-huh. the sweet spot would be zero, like a, a unity, if you will. Now, with analog gear, it tend to go into the red, right? And that would raise it up like another 4 dB or something. And it would show that that's when you start getting to go over and potentially getting distortion right now. From what I understand, the analog world and the gear would have another 20 dB of headroom before you smash it all to smithereens, right? Mm-hmm. But that was something that was not shown on VU meters and still isn't shown on VU meters. So it's just like sort of like a safety valve that's there. It's to Um, give you that warning shot across the bow to say, hey, you might start distorting soon. 
Right. And sometimes that was a pleasing thing, right? If you're It depends something. on the gear, but yes. Yes. It's that and depends on the source and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And But it could give what we call warmth, right? Or you're, mm. you're just going, especially if you're doing more aggressive stuff, that, that could actually be a pleasing thing. Sure. But when we're in the digital realm, it, it's not like that. So we're showing something that's called full scale when we're looking in our meters in the digital realm, where zero is now actually the clipping point. Right. Right. So the sweet spot here that is sort of equivalent to that unity, zero dB of analog gear is minus 18. Hmm. Where have I heard about that before? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. Jody is nodding at me here. But yeah, so that's a sweet spot. And that's something that I know you have always flown the flag for. Like, Well, I haven't always. It took me a while to realize it. And when I first realized it, it was like an aha moment. Like, the angels started singing in my head. And it was like, yeah, this is wonderful. I figured this out. Right. Yes. So, and ever uh, since then, we, I've flown that flag. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's important to understand her at the same time why we look at minus 18 and why that is important as a sort of sweet spot. It allows you, to, if you're right there, that's your sort of average thing that you could potentially, if you have a really dynamic performance, if you're going up a little bit beyond that, you're not risking clipping your signal and it still gives you room to kind of go down lower so that you don't go down and essentially touch the noise floor right but but that's a good level to kind of emulate the analog gear and therefore have the purest signal while still having some peaks and valleys if you need them right you don't risk to accidentally go over and clip the signal and that's a strong well i yeah it's a very big agreement from me it harkens back to getting the stems for walk this way. And so I shouldn't say even tracks. stems. I mean the multi-tracks. My, I was on a call yesterday and people kept telling, we're going to send you the stems. I'm like, no, I want the multi-tracks. Well, no, that's what we mean. Stems. Yeah. Don't <laughs> send me the stems. Send me the multi-tracks. Well, that's what we mean. We're going to send you the stems. I'm like, no, I want the multi-tracks. Anyway. <laughs> The idea there is when I got the multi-tracks of this particular Aerosmith song and I was examining it, all the tracks had their peaks really happening at minus 18 in the digital realm for wherever it was transferred from. And what made it so obvious to me and why I had that aha moment is I threw all the channel strips up at zero and I hit play. And as I'm listening back, it was so easy to make adjustments to make the sound of the song mimic the actual record without touching much of anything because it was already set at a proper volume level and it came out to the output of sounding brilliant. And that was my aha moment. It was like, okay, minus 18 seems to be this great spot to be in. Now, mind you, in the early days of digital... And there are still people carrying over this thought process from that. That was a problem because you could literally hear the stepping noise of the digital recording. 
You mean if you're recording at too low of a too level? Too low of a level. Yeah. If you weren't hitting close to zero in your peaks, you could literally hear that. But digital's gotten well beyond that in the last 20 years. So we don't have to worry about it anymore. What we do have to worry about is the headroom that we're feeding in terms of the signal. Now, that recording of that Aerosmith track, I believe, was 36 tracks. I might be wrong on that. I can't remember the exact track count, but it was fairly big. And when they're all across the board like that, it was very little fader movage that I had to do to make sure that it wasn't suddenly too loud at the output of my master boss. And that was the second portion of that aha moment. There was so much headroom on the tracks that even though once they were all summed together, they didn't suddenly blow out the output of the stereo master. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people have a hard time grasping is, is it's not the individual loudness of a track. It's the overall, how many tracks do you have and how loud is it at the output? Yeah. Because I think... Myself included, but I think a lot of people can relate to when you're starting out and recording how you start pushing, oh, I want more kick or I want more of this and that. And all of a sudden, like all your faders are up and then you're blowing up your output, just like you just said. Yeah. Right. And then you go, oh, my God, my mix is so loud now. Now, to play devil's advocate here. Do it. Today, when we have 32-bit floating processing and everything going on inside our DAW, it is less likely that you're going to clip the individual channels as you're mixing. But when you are tracking, this is certainly something to keep in mind. So like you end up with that starting point, right? Mm -hmm. And this, again, goes kind of hand in hand with what we've talked about in the past when we talked about gain staging. And it's kind of averaging your levels out on each track so that you have a more or less uniform starting point. At least that's the way I think of it. So and where do you set everything? Do you set all your channel strips to zero or somewhere else? When I track or when I start mixing? Both. Well, it all starts from the recording process where I look at – my faders are always at zero when I start, mm -hmm. right? But then I try to have that average you know, level of about you know, minus 18. And sometimes I go a little bit higher. But I don't go nearly as high as I used to. I had the same mindset of that sort of like analog mindset where you, oh, you have to record as close to zero as possible, right? right? Not realizing that, well, that's clipping in the digital realm. And when we're dealing with so much headroom, even if like 16-bit is, is plenty of headroom, right, sure. for what we're doing, that the chances of getting a whole lot of noise in there is a lot less than you'd think. So there's no need for that. So I, I have come down and I'm, I'm usually somewhere between minus 18 to maybe if I'm feeling frisky that day, minus 12, <laughs> right? Um, but my levels are much more uniform mm -hmm. in that way. It just makes it so much easier because now I, well, I'm getting ahead a little bit here, so I won't do that. But this has more to do at this point that we're talking about when you're tracking and going in that you don't want to go over because you can always, you know, change the signal when it's there. I would much rather deal with potential noise in the track than clipping of a track. Right. You know what I mean? Because that is just, even with all the tools that are there today, I'd rather not do that. I would just deal with I some agree noise with issues. Statement. Yeah. I, yeah. I really agree with it. The other thing that I've found is when you record 
in digital at roughly minus 18, you're not going to find yourself in a need of having to pull faders down constantly. And what I liken right. that to, to somebody that doesn't quite understand is that when you're pulling faders down, you're pulling weight out of your sound. And when you're pushing faders up, you're adding weight in a sense. And when you want something to weigh appropriately, why pull it down? Don't pull it down. Yeah. But if you have everything heavily weighted, by the time you get to your master output, you're obese would be a good way of saying it. That's not politically correct, but that would be an analogy that I would yeah. make. Yeah, no, it's, there is another guy. I know I mentioned him here before. He goes by the name of Mixed by Mozart, a German guy. He, he mixing engineer, master engineer. He has a saying that when he looks at headroom, that's the bank account of your mix. That's a good right? one. Yeah, if you have too much going in, that you, you, you're paying for it somehow, right? One thing that I want to bring up here, because I think we might have confused people in the past because I know we've gotten questions about this. And it's a little bit unfortunate, actually, that it's happening. But when we're dealing in the digital realm and we're dealing with sample libraries and everything mm -hmm. today, a lot of those, when you're just playing a patch, is they're loud. They're not sitting around that minus 18 no. level. And I think part of that is probably just to give you a sound that you want right out of the box. And this sounds great because it's louder. I think <laughs> I, I, I don't know the reasoning why they do it, but I think it's a little bit unfortunate because maybe it's holdover. It, it could be. It, From it could what I was be, or, talking about. Right. Or it, it's simply the fact that when people try something out and it's like, oh, this is so soft, it's not strong enough in my track. And I think that unfortunately with people doing a lot of electronic music these days, they get a start and they, they learn that, that this is where my faders are going to be set at because mm -hmm. they see that everything is kind of like tickling into the red with soft synths and God knows what, what kind of sample libraries and drum libraries people are using, right? Right. It's almost like that perpetuates that myth a little bit, I think. And I think that's unfortunate. It is unfortunate, but right now we're going to take a word from our sponsors. And we're back. Why should we care about headroom? I have no idea. No, <laughs> <laughs> no we've touched on a few things here already, right? You, you mentioned not blowing up your master bus. Mm -hmm. But that starts the big, at the tracking stage, really. Yeah, it does, but when we think about the clipping and all this kind of stuff or, or any distortion. So we want to think about, obviously, all of these things at the tracking stage. We want to avoid clipping. And again, can't overstate that enough, but it's not the same as in the analog realm pleasing distortion. If you've heard digital clipping, it's not pleasant unless you're going for an extreme sound and you're doing an industrial track, right? Yeah, it almost um, reminds me of a scene from a, a movie. <laughs> that character's doing shit like that. It's annoying. It is. It is super annoying. But when you have everything in at a starting level, at, let's say that we're in the digital realm, which most of us are these days, and we're sitting at all our tracks are sitting at about minus 18. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying sitting at minus 18. Mm -hmm. Are you referring to the fader number or are you referring oh, to the actual no. audio level? 
The audio level. Right. Yeah, the fader is sitting at Unity usually when I start a mix, if the tracks are gain staged well enough where they're actually are kind of uniform. Right. Right. I, not the, I just the, wanted to clarify that. No, that that's a good, uh, it was a, an assumption on my part and I shouldn't do that. So now the benefit of this is like, not only are you not clipping your master fader, which there are caveats to that as well that we'll, we'll touch on. Now you have room instead of just with, like you said, losing weight by having to pull faders down to make everything fit. Mm -hmm. You now can move in, or you can pull them up or you can pull them down as need be for to make that the mix sound. So you have a lot more room to grow and move, I think. And it makes it a lot more manageable, I think, for me. So that's, I mean, even if you don't think that thinking about clipping and stuff like that is worth it to you, mm. even if you just disregard all of that, <laughs> that enough making your mix easier to deal with, that should be a selling point right there. It should be. Right. The big thing in terms of the whole concept of the bank account of your mix or the weight or overweight or underweight of when you're upping and downing things, if they're incorrectly headroomed, yeah. is when that headroom is set, as we've been talking about, to that minus 18 dB with the channel strip set to zero on the fader in the digital world. This allows you to have a much easier time to be dynamic with the mix. And part of that is that joy of hearing things that can be louder and softer in the mix post the concept of this loudness wars crap that is slowly going away. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but it gives yeah. you the, the room to have levels come up in the mix as well as just having to pull them down when you've recorded at a much more headroom appropriate level. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And keep coming back to the same, but like a much more dynamic mix, right? Mm -hmm. You can right. have things move and it's not just, oh, it's just everything is just slamming all the time. Unless, of course, that's the mix that you're going for, then by all means, go ahead. Another byproduct of this that we haven't touched on today, since a lot of the software and plugins today are digital emulations of analog gear, this will also feed those plugins the sort of appropriate level where they should be. Now, I say that a little bit loosely because, again, it's like internally, if with the float engines and everything, it's not going to clip to like a super nasty level. It gives you a way to feed the signal into these plugins and have them behave the way that you perhaps are designed to do. If you're going into, let's say, 1176 or LA-2A or whatever EQ and stuff are you going into, if it's designed to be taking the input at a certain level, if you're at that minus 18 in the digital realm, maybe that's it's easier for you to get the sound that you want. The sweet spot. The sweet spot. Yeah. The big thing here that you're going after, I think, is that headroom is kind of hand-in-hand related to gain staging. Yeah. It's so much like goes over each other, but yeah, go ahead. Do you want to explain that a little bit more? Do I want to explain gain staging or the headroom or the well, combination yeah. of the two? Yeah. Well, let's say you brought up gain staging here, right? So, so maybe mm -hmm. go back to that a little bit and clarify before I stepped all over your comment. 
Well, the idea there that you're getting at is with gain staging and headroom and getting appropriate levels so that you're hitting a sweet spot of the sound of the plug-in that is the emulation of some analog piece of gear that you are hoping that it's supposed to sound like, when it's got the appropriate headroom or gain stage to it, it's going to come out sounding like that piece of gear has manipulated whatever sound you've sent through it. And if you do that from multiple plugins on a channel strip, you have to be aware of what the output is at each point of each plugin going from one to the other in the channel strip. Otherwise, yeah. you're blowing out your headroom because of the gain stage. Or the lack of gain staging, basically. Yes. Yeah. Here, it's it's one of those things, though, as well, where... Now it's going to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but and you are. But if you go, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And I am because it, yes, I am because if you go in hotter to these, it's not like you can't do it. But know that then you are adding distortion to the signal that could be pleasing because now it's emulating analog gear. But when we're talking about headroom and stuff, it is something that we at least want to be aware of when we're going into plugins as well because it is still possible for some plugins to get overloaded and they're distorting. Right. right? And, and that's you where you're what... losing headroom on that. And that's what I was referring to for compensating between plugins from one to another. Yeah, that is good practice. And even still, it's makeup gain and things on, on compressors, right? It's easy to sometimes fool ourselves with things are just getting louder as opposed to actually sounding better. So keeping louder that- louder just sounds so much sweeter, man. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does. Yeah. Well, it can do, certainly. Yep. Everything else that we've said here, like e even if you just disregard all of it and you don't care about analog emulations and everything, that's fine. But I would encourage everybody to at least make your mixing job a little bit easier. Just try to shoot for this level when you're starting to mix. That's sitting at your, your faders are unity and we're sitting at like minus 18 on the levels and have that as a starting point. And you'll be amazed, I think, at how easier it can get to mix. I, I agree with that. When you start smashing up into your headroom limit, so to speak, you're losing your dynamics. And the big thing about a lot of modern songs, even with the loudness that they can get out of it, there's dynamics happening in some shape, yeah. form, or fashion. Right. The idea also as a mixing engineer as compared to a mastering engineer, is that the mix engineer should do a really nice, awesome mix without blowing out the volume level on the stereo master bus of whatever they're about to send to the mastering engineer. And if I can give a lovely reference, when you send a mix off to a mastering engineer that really knows their shit, they were probably going to want it to be somewhere between minus 20 and minus 19 LUFS for a mix. And a lot of people are going to be like, dude, that's so quiet. And technically <laughs> speaking, it kind of is. But that three or four dB of headroom that you leave the mastering guy to do his work for, say, Apple Music and the other streaming services that are requiring mixes to be at minus 16 LUFS 
or Spotify that's at minus 14 LUFS, you're giving the mastering guy the room to do his work. Yeah. And if you don't do that, their hands are tied. If you send them a mix that's already at minus 16 LUFS and they're supposed to master it for Apple, well, now they've got to pull the volume down to match that volume for anything they add. Or if they don't do it because they don't care, which is unfortunate and it can happen to mixing engineers and artists alike, the streaming service is going to do it for you. And you don't want that. That's just something you don't want. That's why I suggest that the output of your mix should hit roughly minus 20 LUFS. And if in doubt, contact the mastering person and say, hey, how do you want these? How, where do you want the levels to be at? And you want to give them just something to work with, right? Yeah. And what we're talking about here as well is the dynamics of the mix, or at least what I'm thinking about the dynamics of the mix coming out. Because if you just give them a mix that's already slammed and it doesn't have any headroom and it doesn't have any dynamics in it. There's none for the them to dig engine? out. <laughs> right. What are they going to do, right? So let that person do their job. Give them some headroom. And again, devil's advocate, yes, he could just pull it down if it's in the red. It's not going to matter. But if you don't give him any dynamic range to work with, there's very little to do without mastering job, as far as I'm concerned. So be nice to your mastering engineer, and they'll be nice to you, so to speak. Right. I agree with that. Yeah. Let's boot on to our Friday finds. Chris, what have you got today? Well, I think people are going to be excited today because I have a freebie today. Mm. I have mentioned the um, company Audio Modern before. They've had their filter gate and gate lab and these wonderful plugins. Well, I discovered this week that they have a third free offering right now, and it's called PanFlow. Mm. And what PanFlow does is that it can adjust the panning of the track, almost like it sounds like. Uh, But it can do so indefinitely. So you can draw in your curves and have it be just whatever exactly you want, or it can be set to random so that it can actually just randomize as long as your track is running. And that is really, really cool if you want to do just some sound design stuff on, let's say, keyboard pads or anything, and just add a little swirly things and everything. My Friday find is PanFlow by Audio Modern. Mm -hmm. What about you, Jody? What do you got? I'm going the route of the BBC Maestro series has recently announced that they have brought in Mr. Mark Ronson to talk about audio production. Cool. That course is, well, hey, the guy's pretty famous for doing some cool stuff with Amy Winehouse, Bruno Mars, and Lady Gaga. Never heard of him. No, never (laughs) heard of him. Anyway, mine is take a look at the BBC Maestro series and check out Mark Ronson. Very cool. Yeah. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so will get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word headroom, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion, 
suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. I'll talk to you later, Jody. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.